How's everybody doing this morning? You'll forgive these if they keep coming out. Those are my headphones for worship. How's everybody doing again? Fantastic, fantastic. Like my wife said, and that is my lovely wife. My name is Gino Allison, and I'm one of the pastors here. And I just want to welcome you all to the South Suburban Vineyard Church. Uh, special, special welcome to anybody who's visiting with us for the very first time. Special welcome to our family as they're in town for a family reunion. Also, special welcome to anybody who's listening to us through our website or on iTunes. You are also welcome to come and worship with us here on Sunday morning. Before I begin this morning, I just want to say a quick prayer and give you a quick update. Uh, David Jacob and Jenny. Jenny is our uh, worship coordinator. She's usually leading worship. Um, she went into labor this morning. Uh, and, did, and she and her husband are at the hospital right now. And um, we, we checked in on them. And basically, David is asking for prayers of endurance and courage uh, for both him and his wife. Uh, so he doesn't fall out in there. Uh, so let's just spend a, a few moments praying for the Maldonados. They're such a blessing to our church family, and we just pray that God's grace would be with them. So, Lord, we just lift up our brother and sister to you and their, their unborn child, Lord. We just ask your, uh, that you would protect them. Uh, we ask that you would give them your peace and your comfort, Lord. Would you protect Jenny's body? Would you protect the life of the child? I pray that you would just uh, bless them with a really uneventful uh, delivery process, Lord. If, if there's any fear or worry, and anxiety, Lord, I pray that you would calm those choppy seas and just be with them. Bring the child forth in a timely manner. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. And we'll just kind of send out email updates as we get information. Well, Charles Francis Adams was a 19th century political figure and a diplomat. He was an attorney, was uh, the head of a very powerful and influential family in the 19th century. And Charles Francis Adams kept a diary. A diary, and one day he entered this into his diary. Went fishing with my son today. A day wasted. <laughs> his son, Henry Brooks Adams, the son that he took, was also very influential. He's a journalist and a writer. He also kept a diary, and the diary entry um, on that same day read this way. Went fishing with my father today, the most wonderful day of my life. The father thought he was wasting his time with, with, you know, while fishing with his son, but his son, on the other hand, saw it as a powerful investment of his father's time. I'll say it again. The father thought it was a complete waste of time. A businessman, he'd much probably rather be in the boardroom somewhere or writing something or doing something much more important, saw it as a complete waste of time, while the son saw it as a profound investment of time. And Silas Shotwell, in his book, uh, writes this, the only way to tell the difference between wasting and investing is to know one's ultimate purpose in life and to judge accordingly. In other words, the only way to know if you're wasting your time or wasting your resources is to figure out what your purpose is and to judge accordingly. The word invest means to devote one's time, talent, or treasure to a particular undertaking with the expectation of a worthwhile result. And so many of us uh, have the issue of trying to, deal, uh, to figure out what to invest our stuff in. By stuff, I mean the stuff that makes up our life, our time, my most valuable commodity, our talent, our gifts, our abilities, and for some of you, it, the, your most important commodity is your treasure, your stuff, your wealth. And so many things in this life are competing for our stuff, competing for our interests, wanting us to invest our time, our talent in that. 
So we dealt with, we deal with the question each and every day, every single minute of our life, what do we invest in? What do we invest in? What's worth our investment? And I think the question that we need to ask ourselves, according to Silas Shotwell, is what is our ultimate purpose in life? What is our goal in life? Why are we here? And almost each and every week, we can't get away from what the scripture says our, uh, our uh, ultimate purpose is, and that is to love God and to love people. The greatest commandment in all of the scripture is to love God, to devote ourselves to God, and to love people, to devote ourselves to the people that God has put around us. And love in God simply means to devote yourself and to sacrificially serve or give up your interest in the interest of the object of your love. So love speaks of sacrifice. Love speaks of investment. Love is always asking us to give of ourselves, to put the object of our love first and form us in this life. We live essentially to invest. Now, we invest our resources in good ways, and we invest our resources in absolutely terrible and wasteful ways. But if we're living for the Lord, if we're living the way we're supposed to live, we're loving God, we're investing in God, and we're investing in his people. I have the privilege this morning of beginning a brand new sermon series that I'm simply calling Investing in the kingdom. And by kingdom, I mean the kingdom of God. Investing in the kingdom. Because what it truly means to invest or to love God the way he designed us to love him means that we invest our stuff, our time, our talent, and our treasure in the kingdom of God. So as we consider this idea, two very important questions emerge, which we'll spend some time over the next four weeks uh, discussing in this series. The two very important questions are, what is the kingdom of God, and how do we invest in the kingdom of God? What is the kingdom of God, and how do we invest in the kingdom of God? And each and every time I talk about the kingdom, it's important for me to highlight the fact that we don't live like in a kingdom society, like in a monarchy. So it's hard for us to understand truly what a kingdom is. And a kingdom isn't necessarily, particularly the kingdom of God, isn't necessarily a geographical location or geopolitical sort of operation. Rather, it's what we call a dynamic realm in which God is in charge. It's a realm or a sphere in which God is in charge. So when we come to Jesus, when we accept the call that he offers us, we essentially come into the kingdom. We become citizens of the kingdom and we submit our lives to his lordship. We submit our lives, our way, our resources, everything that we have to his rulership. When Jesus came, when John the Baptist came, they preached what we call the message of the kingdom. Repent, for the kingdom of of God is at hand. In other words, turn from your agenda, turn from your plan that you have for yourself, and turn headlong toward God's plan, his purpose for your life. Surrender your way in exchange for his. And this is, in essence, what the kingdom of God is. So now that we know what the kingdom of God is, we ask ourselves the very important question, how do we invest in the kingdom of God? And like I said, we're going to spend four weeks on this series. And in these uh, four weeks, we're going to talk about, we're going to break down the three specific aspects that make up our life, our time, our time, our schedule. What we do with the hours of the day, the hours of the week, we'll talk about how we invest our talent in the kingdom, our gifts, the stuff that God has given us, our our intellect, our intelligence. And we'll talk about our treasure, our money, our stuff, our wealth. But today, I want to look at a broad view of what it means to generally invest your life in the kingdom. Invest your life 
in the kingdom. And that's simply what I'm calling this message today, investing your life in the kingdom. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 14, starting at verse 25. If you don't have a Bible, by the way, there are Bibles on the edges of your rows. We'll also be projecting the scriptures on the screens in front of you. If you don't have a Bible, you are more than welcome to take that Bible home as a gift from us to you. If you've gotten in the habit of collecting our Bibles, please discreetly just bring them back. Nobody will notice. Um, Luke chapter 14. Before I begin, let me just pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for your truth. It's so foundational. It so uh, orients us and pushes us, pushes us in the right direction. Lord, your word is often uh, difficult to take in. Not that it's difficult to understand, but it's just hard to do and it's hard to live out. So, Lord, with an understanding of that, we invite your presence this morning. We ask that you would speak. Lord, would you move the preacher out of the way this morning so that your truth and that your light can shine through? Lord, would you put power on these words that you've given me to speak? May I be a vessel and an instrument for you this morning. We ask your blessing this morning. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Luke chapter 14, verse 25, we'll read through verse 33. This is a very famous passage of scripture. As I begin to read it, many of you will recognize it. So we'll just break it down in the light of investing our life in the kingdom. Verse 25, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciples, you must hate everyone else by comparison. Your father and your mother, your wife, your children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. But don't begin unless you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there is enough money to finish it? Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone would laugh at you. They would say, there is a person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. Or what king would go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 can defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him? And if he can't, he will send a delegation to discuss terms of peace while the enemy is still far away. So you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. Jesus says you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything that you own. What a powerful passage of scripture. And to be perfectly honest, this passage of scripture hits me in the gut each and every time that I read it. It challenges me each and every time that I read it, even though I've read it dozens and dozens of times. I've preached on it a number of times. This passage is so foundational and so impactful that it hits me in the gut each and every time I read it. Jesus in this passage is making some very bold statements, as he often does. What Jesus has to say to us in this passage and many other passages is very offensive to us. It's offensive to uh, us Westerners. We want to have our own way. Not only do we want to have our own way, but we want to have options, multiple options. We want to do what we want to do. We want to have a plan B and a plan C in case those things don't work out. And what Jesus charges at us today, he says to us today, is listen, away with that. Do it this way. He offends our sins as he offends the me that I want to be when left to my own devices. He offends the you that you want to be when left to your own devices. And as I walk through this passage this morning, I want to highlight how Jesus commands us to surrender and invest our life in the kingdom. The first thing I notice when I uh, read the first opening lines of this passage is that Jesus thins out the crowd. Jesus has a unique way of thinning out these large crowds that were following him. Verse 25 uh, tells us that there's a large crowd. A large crowd was following Jesus, and he turned around and said some words to them. 
Now, why is that significant? It's especially significant because Jesus was like the man right now. Okay, Jesus was healing people. I mean, he opened his mouth to speak and all of this wisdom would come out of it. And people were so impressed by what he had to say. They were impressed at how he handled himself with the Pharisees and the religious leaders who tried to trip him up and, and trap him and, and ensnare him in his word. They were very impressed with Jesus, not to mention the signs, the wonders, and the miracles that followed Jesus' life. After all, sick people would come to Jesus and they would walk away not sick anymore. People would be carted into Jesus on a mat and they would carry their mat away after being healed by Jesus. Blind people would come to Jesus blind and they would walk away fully having their sight. People would come to Jesus and report that their child is sick and dying at home. And Jesus says, listen, go home. When you get there, your child will be okay. And sure enough, there was healing. Wouldn't you want to go check a guy out like that? Wouldn't you at least just want to see what he's up to? See what he has to say? See if there's something in that bag of goodies for you? So this is the nature of Jesus' popularity and fame, and people were following him, masses of people, masses of people. So there was a large crowd following Jesus a lot of the time, a lot of the time. When you look at the passages that uh, show that these large crowds are following Jesus, Jesus often did things, and he often said things to thin out these hefty crowds that were following him. And what Jesus wasn't necessarily trying to be mean, he wasn't trying to be rude, but he was trying to see who really wanted to be a disciple. Who really wanted to, to, to have access to what Jesus had to offer. And trust me, the healing and the prophecies and the miracles and the wise sayings, listen, that wasn't the main event. The kingdom of God. Salvation. That's the main event. So Jesus understands that all of these people are following him. They have good intentions, but he understands that they're following him for the wrong reasons. Jesus is trying to make disciples. He's trying to get people who to surrender their lives to him and to come into the kingdom of God. So he does and says things to thin out the crowd. Why? Because you don't have to be okay to come to Jesus. You don't have to have it all together. We say that all the time. It's just that you're not going to be in Jesus' presence hearing his words and think you're okay. I say that all the time. You don't have to clean yourself up before you come to church. You don't have to have it all together. But God forbid you sit in this place each and every week and hear me preach each and every week and think you're okay when your soul is in peril. That blood's on my hands. You say, why is pastor, why is he always talking about sin? Why is he always talking about the areas that we need to fix? Why is he always talking about the things that we need to work on? Because listen, you come to the hospital. What if you walked into the hospital week after week for your doctor's visit with terminal illness, visibly looking a mess? And the doctor just gave you a lollipop and said, hey, you're looking great, never been better. You might feel good about yourself, but what a waste of money. What a waste of time. So when you come to Dr. Jesus, the great physician, he wants to make sure he'll love on you. He'll make you feel cared for, but he's going to diagnose what's wrong with you. He's going to diagnose what's wrong with you. And sometimes people, oftentimes, people don't want to hear that there's something wrong with them. They want to hear that they got a sickness that if they don't deal with it quickly, it will derail them in profound ways. So this is how Jesus thins out this crowd by speaking the truth to them. And Jesus thins out the crowd. Jesus identifies the cost of discipleship. He identifies the cost of discipleship. He says, listen, the miracles, all that stuff, yeah, that didn't cost you anything. But discipleship, what this thing is really all about is going to cost you. It's not just going to cost you. It's going to cost you a whole lot. 
It could cost you a whole lot. And otherwise, the upfront capital investment, what it takes to invest in the kingdom of God for real, is a whole lot. And this is how Jesus thins out the crowd because he's upfront with them about the cost of discipleship. He turns around and said to them, verse 26, if you want to be my disciple, you must hate everyone else by comparison, your father and your mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters. Yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you don't carry your own cross and excuse me, follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Now, there's a lot of stuff in there that offends us. There's a lot of stuff in there that goes, wait a second, Jesus said this? What version are you reading, preacher? But Jesus said this stuff. If you want to be my disciple, for real, if you want to be a Christian for real, if you want to follow me for real, you must hate everyone else by comparison. And that hate, I mean, people are sure that that's a mistranslation of the original language. Do your research. That word there means hate, right? But as always, we have to synthesize passages of Scripture by the whole of Scripture. And we understand that Jesus commands us to love one another. In fact, it's our ultimate purpose to love God and to love people. So clearly, this is like hyperbole or an exaggerated term meant to drive home a point. Hate everyone else by comparison, which I think is a very fair translation of the original text. Hate everyone else by comparison. Your father, your mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. You have to understand that Jesus is talking to a first century Jewish crowd who really, I mean, family is really important. You think family is important now. I mean, we've slipped a long way, but family is extremely important in this culture. Taking care of your parents, loving them and respecting them, being a filial son or filial daughter is very important. The family bonds between brother and sister are very important. And Jesus knows exactly who he's talking to. So he says, listen, you've got to hate all those people by comparison. In other words, none of those people can be more important to you than me. None of those people can be more important to you than me. And we say, well, I guess that's fair enough, but I just want, I just want to pause there for a second. Because these are the things that we take very seriously. And Jesus knows that this is at the height of importance in this particular culture, so what we should take away from it is we should plug in what's the most important to us in our culture. What are those idols that we will leave Jesus for, that we'll forsake the kingdom of God and all that it has to offer to pursue that? And some of you, it wouldn't necessarily be your mother or father, but it might be your, your, your girlfriend or your boyfriend or your significant other, your spouse. For some of you, it might be your career. Some of you might be that besetting sin, that, that little issue that you have, that secret thing that you do that nobody knows about but you and a certain few others. It's that thing that Jesus would come and put his finger on if he came to diagnose what your sickness was. And Jesus says nothing. You've got to hate that stuff by comparison if you want to be my disciple. And he sums it all up by saying, yes, even your own life, even your own life, your life to include your mortality. Your life to include your time, your talent, your treasure, all the things you'd hope to accomplish, the plans that you set forth, all of your ambition, all of your goals. Jesus said, you got to hate that stuff by comparison. You cannot choose that over me. If you want to be my disciple, this is the real deal. Uh, take it or leave it. That'll clear a room. That'll thin the crowd out fairly easily. 
And why does Jesus say this? Because he knows, he knows that half if not more are the people that are sitting in church have not invested their lives in the kingdom and have no plan to do so. They have no plan to do so. You say, well, what do you mean by that? Listen, I told you all the time. Listen, I can tell you what you're investing your life in. Just, just give me your day book, your calendar, and show me your credit card receipts and your bank statements. I'll tell you what you value. I'll tell you what's most important to you. And some of you, the kingdom is way on the bottom of the list if it's on there at all. And don't you dare count your Sunday attendance as something that God just relishes in. We're not even talking about that right now. I'm talking about your time, your talent, your treasure. I'm talking about your stuff. And in the coming weeks, we'll flesh those individual areas out in more detail. But Jesus said, I want your life. And if I don't have your life, if I don't have your stuff, I don't have your time, I don't have your talent, the stuff I gave you anyway, then I don't have you. I don't have you. He thins out this crowd by identifying the cost, the buy-in, the capital investment up front. Because it's very offensive. It's difficult to hear. It's difficult to hear. It just blesses my heart to see people investing in God's kingdom. I spent the, the greater part of my life doing that. I just think about how this church began. It was just 11 folks, 11 folks, who just decided that they're just going to be crazy and do what the Lord told them to do. They're all living in Champagne, with the exception of a couple of us. The Lord said, hey, go plant a church, a multicultural church in the south suburbs of Chicago. And people, we sold our houses. We, you know, we, we, we quit our jobs, and we set out for the great unknown, which was this place. It's been fantastic. It's been hard. It's been difficult. It's been a lot of fun. It's not been easy, but we invested in the kingdom. And our journey, many of our, our journey started long before we had be, began this endeavor to plant this church. I can think of years and years of life of service that I've given to God and to the ministry of my own time, talent, and money. You know, and when I look at the landscape of what, what is growing, <laughs> what we're gaining from what, what, what we've invested, I, I, I just think this is fantastically miraculous. If people would say, you know what, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I'm going to give you my life. I'm going to give you this great paying job. I'm going to give you this house that I've invested money in, in a market where I'm going to lose money on this thing. I'm going to do that, Lord, for your sake. And to be honest, sometimes when I look out and the crowd is really thin and people have decided to stay at home or people are on vacation, I look out and I go, man, this is re I'm really depressed. You know, pastors are, ride this sort of roller coaster from Sunday to Sunday, and I confess that I, I ride that roller coaster as well. And when I'm looking at the day-to-day -day stuff, it's hard for me to see the payoff. It's hard for me to see, like, man, what, what did I give my life to? What did I throw away that stuff for? But when I sit down and I look at the entire ledger of what we put in and what we're getting out, the intangibles as well as the intangibles, I say, man, Lord, we gave our life to something, and you are, you are paying it back. You are paying it back. That's why I lean on you so hard to fully invest in the kingdom. That's why I don't want you to get comfortable just coming in here on Sunday morning, hearing a message, clapping your hands to some songs, and leaving the rest of the week all to yourself to decide what you want to do. I'm not comfortable with that. And the day I get comfortable with that, the day I settle into that, is you guys need to find somebody else to do this job. Push you and say, God wants all of you. Yeah, he wants all of you. He wants all of you. 
That little thing behind your back, he wants that too. Those secrets in the closet that hurt, that habit, that hang up, he wants that too. He wants your relationship. He wants your children. He wants your money. He wants your finances. Listen, he's not greedy. It's all his anyway. I want you to get comfortable just coming in here to church. I want you to invest. But many turn away because the cost is too great. Jesus puts it this way. If you don't carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. What powerful imagery for us. Having seen the movies like Passion of the Christ and having heard the stories of the crucifixion and the Passion of the Christ. But understand that this Jewish audience was very uh, acquainted with this whole imagery of carrying the cross. As those who were being crucified on a regular basis would carry their cross through the town. They understand that they have that image fresh in their mind. They understand that what Jesus is asking is nothing short of a complete investment, a complete sacrifice, something that's painful at times, something that's going to cost you something. If you don't carry your own cross every single day, Every single day, it doesn't work. It simply doesn't work. And some of us look sideways at Jesus and say, Jesus, you're asking a lot. What gives you the right to make that request of us? And I tell you, Jesus has every right to make that request of us, not simply because he's the son of God, but simply because he did the same thing that he's asking us to do. Because when he came to earth, God... He emptied himself of his godness to be like one of us to fulfill the purpose of the Father. So he says, I emptied myself for the kingdom. I, I completely invested myself in the kingdom so that their greater good could happen, so that you could attain salvation, so that you can be free, so that you can be healed. He has every right to ask the same of us. Paul in Philippians chapter 2 uh, puts it perfectly what, what Jesus did as he came to earth. Though he was God, Jesus... He did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared in human form. He humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. This is what your Savior did. This is what we'll commemorate when we take communion today. So we we look at Jesus sideways when he tells us not to sin. We say, "Well, well, of course you didn't sin. You were God walking the earth. But what Jesus really did is he came down to earth. He took off his godness. We didn't access the privileges of being God so that he can walk this earth as he asked us to walk it. Can you imagine being God and then just having to be a dude? Being able to just speak to anything and everything you wanted, having all power in your hands, being able to do whatever you want and then just say, you know what, I'm going to lay that down for about 33 years and deal with the headaches of the people that I came to save. To be persecuted, to be tempted as humans are. I'm going to empty myself. I'm going to invest my whole life in the kingdom because God said to do it. So it's with great authority. And without any apology that he asks us, no, he demands us to do the same. He doesn't think twice about asking this of us to invest our whole life, to pay what it costs to enter the kingdom of God. He doesn't stop there. He urges us to count up the cost as we journey through this passage. He he urges us to count up the cost. 
Jesus is saying, listen, I don't want you to take this lightly. I don't want you to sign this contract without reading all of the fine print. I don't want you to make a rash, you know, impulsive decision because your emotions are hyped up on some preacher, somebody's playing the piano and the music is right and the mood is right. I don't want you to make some emotional decision to follow me. He said, I want you to take your time with this thing. I want you to read the fine print on this thing. I want you to really know what you're getting into because the diff- it makes all the difference. It makes all the difference. And this is what I try to do over and over and over again as I stand here to preach. I want to let you know what you're getting into. I want you, I don't want you to be confused about what God is asking of you. He's not asking you for an hour and a half on Sunday morning. He's not asking you to just throw a few coins in the place. He's not asking you to just sign up for some ministry in the church, whichever one is the least, you know, laborsome. That's, he's not satisfied with that. He said, if you understand that everything you have and everything you own and everything you are comes from me, then just make yourself available to me to do, to do with it whatever I will, to use it however I will. He says, listen, count up the cost. Really investigate this thing before you choose to invest. And I feel that many, many fall away from, 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 from the kingdom. Many fall away from Jesus because somebody didn't sit down and explain to them exactly what they were getting into. Somebody forgot to tell them that this road was narrow. Somebody forgot to tell them that it's wrought with suffering sometimes, that your mama might walk away from you. And your father may think you're a nut. And your children may think you're absolutely crazy. That it might cost you some options in terms of your, your uh, living situation. It might cause you to go someplace that you didn't plan to go and stay someplace longer than you intended to stay. Somebody forgot to tell them that part. Somebody forgot to tell them that your goal in life isn't to pursue happiness, but rather it's to pursue what God puts you on this earth to, to, to do. And listen, if you come here any number of times, unless you're wearing earplugs the whole time, you won't be confused about that. Not at the vineyard. Not at the vineyard. And Jesus urges them to count up the cost. How, he, how, how does he do it? He does it cleverly, in my estimation. Verse 28, but don't begin, don't pursue it until you count the cost, until you investigate it, until you look into it. And he gives some examples for who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it. Otherwise, you might complete only the foundation before running out of money, and then everyone will laugh at you. They would say, there's a person who started that building and couldn't afford to finish it. He gives another example. Or what king will go to war against another king without first sitting down with his counselors to discuss whether his army of 10,000 could defeat the 20, I'm sorry, 10,000 can defeat the 20,000 soldiers marching against him. So Jesus is saying this. Listen, if if, if, if you're smart about this, you sit down and do some homework. You sit down and say, listen, do I really want to do that? Talks about the builder. He says, listen, the builder's going to look at the, cap, the cash that he has on hand or perhaps his credit line at the bank to make sure he has enough before he goes and starts this project. Otherwise, he's going to just get only the foundation done and people are going to laugh at him. He's going to look like a fool. And how many of you know so many people have started this? They've given their life to Jesus. They've made an uninformed decision got caught up in the emotions, went to run in their mouth and pointing the finger in their family and saying, you guys are all going to hell, la, 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 la. And a week or two later, they've fallen away and they look foolish. Well, what happened to that Jesus you were talking about? It's Sunday morning. You're supposed to be at church right now, aren't you? They look foolish. They didn't do the math. They didn't count up the cost. 
And Jesus encourages you, and I encourage you, listen, count up the cost. Think about this thing for real. Are you going to do this or not? I say over and over and over what Jesus was saying to us in essence when he comes to us, when he presents the message of the kingdom, he says, listen, if you have something better to do, go and do it. If you, th you have something that's going to be more profitable, that's going to pay you greater, uh, a greater output, listen, go do it. And what he's saying in the back of his mind is, you'll be back when that person fails you. You'll be back when that stuff you've invested all your time, all your treasure, all your talent in completely disappoints you, as it always does. You'll be back, or not. This is what Jesus is saying. Think about it. Count up the cost. Count up the cost. Why is this so important? Listen, if I did the math and I figured out that this stuff was a hoax, listen, I'd go out and I'd have some real fun. All right? I, I, I wouldn't be in here. I I've given up a lot for this. If I thought for a second that this wasn't going to pan out, or that this was, as some say, a crutch for the weak, or just something people do because they want companionship and they just want to get through life's hard times so they focus on an imaginary God to deal with their real problems. If I figured out for a second that this was what this was all about, listen, I would be out of here in a heartbeat. I'd be out of here in a heartbeat. But what I've discovered is this is the real deal. Listen, I've drank the Kool-Aid. All of it. All of it. I'm bought into this. And because I'm bought into this, because I've done the homework, I've done the math, listen, I'm going all in, and I'm going to command all of those who claim to do, this, to do the same. I'm going to challenge you. I'm going to encourage you. I want to disciple you to give every single thing. Well, you say, man, Pastor, things are really tight right now. You know, I, I got a lot of bills and all this sorts of things. So, okay. So you, let me just make sure you understand what you've done. You elevated your situation over the God's commands. Listen, I can't really get, you know, I can't be participating in Christian community. I can't, I can't do the things that God commands me to do at this stage of life because, listen, things are just crazy at home. You know, things are just crazy at work and all this thing and all that. That's fine. But you understand, though, that you're doing something other than what God commands you to do. You come to the doctor. I'm giving you a diagnosis. I still love you. I'm still here for you. But I don't want you to get this twisted. Jesus says, count up the cost. Get in or get out. Do it or don't. And up until now, it's kind of like, man, this is kind of, this is kind of, man, I should have stayed home and watched TV. This is kind of a bummer, this message. But there's hope. There's hope in that. There's hope in this, all this that Jesus says. Jesus says, listen, yeah, I'm telling you it's going to be hard. Yeah, it's a narrow road. Yeah, it's going to require of you more than you would care to pay. But guess what? I'm the real deal. And you may not see it now, and you may not see it tomorrow, or you may not see it next year. You may have to wait until eternity to see the payout. But this is the real deal. There's hope in this. And Jesus shows us the hope by showing us what the reward is for following him. Verse 33, Jesus says, so you cannot become my disciple without giving up everything you own. You say, where's the hope in that? Where's the hope in that? Well, the opposite is true. If you give up everything you own, if you fully invest in the kingdom, then discipleship is yours and all the benefits, all of the bounty and blessing of the kingdom of God in heaven is yours because you follow Jesus for real. You say, I'm going to need a little more scripture to stand on than that, preacher. Jesus says, seek the kingdom and everything will be added. Seek the kingdom and everything will be added. The scripture says, actually, seek the kingdom first 
and everything will be added. See, we want to seek the kingdom after we've done, we've tried everything else. We want to seek the kingdom after we paid Uncle Sam and after we've taken care of all our bills and after we paid rent a center for our TV. We want, to, we want to seek the kingdom after that. Lord, I got a few coins left. There you go. Seek the kingdom with your time. I, listen, I got, I got all this stuff going on. If I, if I get around to it, I'll get to church. If I get around to it, I'll get to small group. If I get around to it, I'll go hang out with the Christian brothers and sisters. Listen, listen, what a, what a, what a, what a joke. Your God-given talent. Listen, seek the kingdom first, the scripture says, with your talent, who you are, what you are, your intellect, your skills, your gifts, your God-given stuff. Listen, man, I'm too busy making a living. I'm too busy pursuing my own energy. I'm such a hobbyist that I can't devote any of that talent and give it back to the Lord. Listen, what a joke. What a joke. But for those of us who said, Lord, everything I have is yours. And even though I'm imperfect, my goal, my goal is to give you more and to give you more. My goal is to take this sort of reserve cones off of more and more spaces of my life so that I'm more available to you. That's my goal. That's my goal. And I've just, I watch people's life who live like that, and I tell you, they may not have the most money. They may not have the best house. But they, man, they just seem like they're just really happy. You know somebody who's living this thing for real? You know somebody who's given their whole life for this in service to the Lord? They're like, man, I want to have what they have for breakfast. They got a pep in their step. They got joy in their salvation. I want what they have. And I tell you, they figured out the secret. And it's not so secret. It's that God, when you give God everything, he he gives you something that's very intangible. Something fantastic about having peace with God. Something very wonderful about being okay and in good standing with the Creator. Something wonderful about that. And some of you have never known that feeling. You've never known the feeling of being at one and at peace with the Lord. You've never known it. But those of us who've tasted it, we won't go back. Not for any amount of money. Not for any temptation or any short skirt that prances in front of us. Not for any amount of wealth or importance or significance. Those of us who truly taste it, being at peace with God, listen, it's hard for us to turn away from that. And that's the the essence of what the kingdom of God promises. Righteousness, peace, joy in the Holy Spirit. That is the kingdom of God. How many of you want that? How many of you want to lay your head at night uh, down on the pillow and, and know that you're okay with the creator and know that if you should expire know that if you should expire not see the next morning that you will see the glorious face of the one who saved you and died for you how many of you would, who doesn't want that who doesn't need that and this is the hope that we have in Jesus this is the reward of salvation and Jesus says it more explicitly in Mark chapter 10 Jesus had just finished uh, talking uh, to the rich young man who walked away from him because he didn't want to give away his riches. And his disciples are just confused. They're perplexed. And Peter asked Jesus in verse 28, Mark chapter 10, verse 28, then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you. They were confused because surely if this rich man is not getting in the kingdom, then who is? 
Peter says, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. And this is, this is what Jesus said. This is so beautiful. Jesus says, yes, Jesus replied, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brother or sister or mother or father or children or property for my sake, for the good news, will receive now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property, along with persecution. And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. Peter said, listen, we've given up everything. In other words, we've invested our life like you told us to do. We've gone all in. We've left our vocations. We've left our families. We've left our stuff. We've left our ambition. We've left all of our stuff, our plans to follow you. What do we get for that is kind of what he was asking. And Jesus says, listen, nobody that's left any of that stuff didn't get it back a hundred times in this life and in the next eternal life. So is Jesus saying that, listen, if you gave up a house, he's going to give you a hundred houses? If you've given up one, you know, if you've given up a relationship, he's going to, you know, it, that's, not, that's not exactly what he's saying. It's more that hyperbole that we're talking about. Jesus says that nothing you can give up or walk away from is greater than what the kingdom has to offer you. Jesus says that nothing you can walk away from Nothing that you can surrender to him is more significant, is more valuable, is more important than what the kingdom has to offer you. And you won't always be able to see it. You just kind of got to take his word for it. You got to take his word for it. Nothing is more important. Every single day, we got to tell ourselves that. Every single day, We have to understand that God is asking us. He's telling us if we want to do this thing for real, we have to invest our life in the kingdom of God. You say, Pastor, what's the big picture here? The big picture is that if we understand our ultimate purpose, which will help us determine what is a true investment or what is a waste of time. And by the way, we've wasted so much time. We've wasted so much money. We've wasted so much of our natural God-given talent. Because we haven't understood what our ultimate purpose is. And my ultimate purpose is your ultimate purpose. Every single person's ultimate purpose, regardless of whether or not they pursue it or not, your ultimate purpose is to love God, to live for him with every fiber of your being. Understanding that that is your ultimate purpose, how can we avoid investing fully in his stuff? in his kingdom, in his people, in his affairs, can't get around it. At least we shouldn't. So when Jesus comes to us, he thins the crowd because we can't really, most of us, we can't, we aren't willing to deal with this. We aren't willing to take this. He identifies the cost, which is everything. Everything. Every single thing. He urges us to count and consider those costs on the front end. And he identifies the rewards, which is eternal life, and full repayment, and a greater return than anything else can promise you. This is what the kingdom has to offer. This is what we get when we invest in the kingdom. And my question to all of you today is, where are you at on this? Where are you? Have you invested in the kingdom? What stage of this process are you in? Some of us are just at that initial stage where we're investigating. We've heard about it. We've tasted a little bit. We're in that crowd of people that's trying to figure out what Jesus is really about. We're still at that phase, and that's fantastic. Stay with it. Keep your eyes and ears open. Others of you have heard what the master has to say, and you say, no, I'm going to start this. 
I'm going to start this. And you've just been investing. You've been liquidating your assets. You've been liquidating your stuff. And you said, Lord, here it is. I'm not going to try to diversify this investment. I'm going to double down and I'm going to bet on the kingdom of God. That's where you're at. Others of you, you're in full swing. You're living this thing out. You make mistakes. You take a couple steps back, but you're in the thick of this. Others of you, you realize that you've heard the message, you're disgusted by it, and you've walked away. You're in that number of people who walked away and said, this is a hard saying. Who can do this? You're in that number. You're in that number. But where are you at today? Where are you at? Don't answer me. I want you to be honest. Where are you at? Where are you? And I want to remind you that there are, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Absolutely none. But if you choose to do this, do it for real. And the Lord will bless your socks off in ways that you cannot imagine. I want you guys to commit to coming for the next three weeks as we really break out each and every section of this. I think the Lord will speak to you. He will challenge you in a way that you've probably never been challenged before. I promise to pull no punches. I'm going to give you the straight deal. But the Lord wants us to have the fullness of life that he promises us, but that requires us to do one very important thing, and that is invest in the kingdom of God. Worship team, you can come up. Let me just pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you so much. I thank you so very much for your word. I thank you, dear Lord, for your truth. I thank you how you call us over and over and over again to pursue the kingdom, to look into this matter fully, Lord. And Lord, we know that this is not an easy thing to do, Father, we know that this is difficult. Coming into the kingdom will, will cost us every single thing that we own, every single thing that we have, every ounce of our time, every ounce of our talent, every ounce of our treasure. So, Lord, I just pray that you would help us be real with where we are to, this morning, real with where we stand this morning. And at the end of all that assessment, at the end of all that counting up the cost, Lord, I pray that you would cause us to do what we need to do and to fully invest in your kingdom. Lord, and for those of us who are here this morning that struggle with this, Lord, that wrestle with this, that look at this and say, you, Lord, you don't know my situation. You don't see the bills that I have. You don't see the dysfunction that's growing in my, 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 my family. You don't see the obstacles. You don't see the fact that I don't have transportation. You don't see that my, you know, my, I'm upside down in my house. You don't see that I have all these things working against me. And, uh, Lord, you don't see those things. For that person who is wrestling and really wants to do this thing, Lord, I just pray that you would make it clear to them. I pray that you would give them strength and courage to do this thing the way that you've called them to do it. And that's 100%. God, we ask all these things in your glorious son's name. Amen.